Hi, I'm Alan Altman. And I'm Dave Joskow. And this is Billy Joel A to Z. I only need three songs from you tonight. I know you're going to do a lot, but uh, like just the way we was, that's one of them, right? Once again, Billy Joel. Don't go changing to try and please me. You never let me down before. Mm-hmm. And don't imagine you're too familiar. And I don't see you anymore. I would not leave you in times of trouble. We never could have come this far. Mm-hmm. I took the good times. I'll take the bad times. I take you just the Hello, everybody, and welcome to Billy Joel A to Z. Just, you know, when you have a little sample of the song and it's a little melancholy, you have to be melancholy. Meanwhile, boy, this is a biggie. Just the way you are. The third track of a Billy's fifth and unbelievable album, The Stranger. And the song that made Billy Joel an international superstar and the most covered song in his repertoire, including a cover version. This is how you know it's big, Alon. A cover version by his daughter, Alexa Ray. That's huge. I hope that's not the trivia question. It it was released as the album's lead single in September of 1977. It became Billy Joel's first U.S. top 10 hit, going all the way to number three on February 18, 1978, after spending 27 weeks on the charts. And, of course, it never made it to number one because... At that time, you're not going to knock off Saturday Night Fever and the Bee Gees. Or are you? More to follow. Just the Way You Are became Billy Joel's first gold single and garnered two Grammy Awards for Record of the Year and Song of the Year in 1979. This is the second song Billy Joel ever played on his first appearance out of four appearances on Saturday Night Live on February 18th, 1978, which is the episode famously known for Billy missing his high school reunion to perform on the show and the famous Bill Murray and Chevy Chase fistfight whilst (laughs) Billy was singing this song. This song has (laughs) so many crazy repercussions. So let's see, Christopher Bananos, if you are ranking 121 Billy Joel songs, where are you putting? This one that put Billy Joel on the map of all maps. The reason why we do the podcast in many ways. Just the way you are. Where does he place it a lot? I think he's got to go high. The song is too important and big. And I'm going to say six. Yeah, seven. Wow. You were right there. The straightest of straight up ballads, I grant you. But this is Billy Joel's Yesterday in the relation to uh, Paul McCartney. But Glenn Gamboa, this is why it's weird. I, I still think I got it wrong. You know what? I'm going to I'm gonna double check this one, too, because it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> um, We're going to get Glenn Gamboa on the line. All right. I just double checked because I thought I did my math wrong or something. But y- you want to take a guess where Glenn Gamboa has this one? 
Well, clearly it's not very high. Otherwise, exactly. you wouldn't have to double check it. So I'll say 41. Yeah, 40. Boy, you've been one off each time. 40. <laughs> it's a rare Billy Joel love bell that is actually about being in love. <laughs> That's interesting. It's kind of funny. Uh, blah, blah, blah. And the fans rank it at 15. So that makes about sense. You know, that I guess that's the thing. But that's the question with these rankings. You know, when we put our list together finally at the, on the final episode, the question will be like, are we ranking them how they should be ranked? Or are we ranking them the way we want them to be ranked? So I could see putting this song in the 40s because maybe we're just kind of all done with this song in many ways because of the way it's been covered and the way it's been considered a little loungy and cheesy and in the way it's a little tough to listen to in this day and age. But when you look at the bigger picture, the stranger album itself, and the fact that this is the song that kind of built his entire career, then you have to question your placement, you know, and then, and then that's the question of the entire ranking system. Yeah, and maybe that's why we always see these differences between Glenn Gamboa and Chris Bananos, because I think Bananos wouldn't say this is his seventh favorite song, but he's looking at this objectively. This is the seventh best song for all these other factors, whereas Gamboa is more like, I think, how we would feel. It's, it's good, but we're not listening to this all the time. We're not hoping that he's going to play it live. We don't really care that Excellent much. Excellent point, right. I don't think anybody wants to hear him play it live anymore. And you're absolutely right. And that's the funny thing, again, about rankings. You know, if you're going to rank the James Bond movies, are you ranking them the way they should be ranked or are you ranking them in the way you enjoy them? And that's why rankings are fun. And people like to question them all the time because they're always up for interpretation. But uh, we still enjoy bringing them to you. And it is certainly lots of fun to have Alon always guessing where People are going to put them for whatever reason. Anyway, this particular song is fascinating. I I have problems with this. I like the song because I'll always like the song, but I also dislike the song because when I was young and this came out, I think it just depressed me. It was a very depressing song for me where I was as a junior high boy, probably in love with a girl that uh, probably did like me back and I was still confused. And I don't know, you know what, you know what I'm saying in this thing. And plus, as I, I suppose you know by now, it's so funny when I was listening to the song again before going doing a little backwards uh, journalistic uh, reporting on this. I said to myself, wow, those Oz sound like the 10 CC song that I hate. That yeah. I've always hated. <laughs> and then I found out, oh, my God, that I can't believe I didn't know until this day. They took it exactly from that. I'm not in love. Ah, and I remember hating that song so yes. much. I guess because <laughs> that, because, and I'll tell you exactly why that song used to play on snow days when you would have to listen to this local radio station in New, New Brunswick, New Jersey, out of New Brunswick, New Jersey, to, when they had the school closings. And that song would play. And then I was upset that school would be closed because I would be missing friends even though and i don't when i say friends i'm like i don't even know who the hell i was missing maybe just seeing girls i don't know i mean i, I, I maybe missing the social aspect of school because i certainly wasn't upset that school was closed and they'd always play this song and i'm like oh now i'm going to be alone today you, you know and, and so that and then you put that into the billy joel song it, it just always reminded so you know this happens unfortunately with songs sometimes you're in a bad place and they just rub you the wrong way 
But it is a fascinating song, and it certainly uses the keyboard sound that obviously we have been known that I like. Yeah, uh, right. It has that keyboard sound that you loved in James, that you loved in this, that you loved in my life. And what was the song we just did? James. Oh, you no, said no, that it, oh, and, uh, uh, it's still rock and roll to me. Oh yeah, right, right, right. That little keyboard part of it. But right, yeah, right, they all right. use that same tone that he that that. Yeah, I was like, my life. Billy we haven't Joel. gotten to my life yet. I haven't told you how I thought <laughs> about my life. <laughs> Dave never even heard that song. I never before. heard that song in my life. <laughs> hey, see what they did there. <laughs> you know, it's weird because like that 10 CC comparison, I don't think I ever noticed that those ahs were in the background of the song until someone pointed out the 10 CC thing. And then you can't not hear it. Uh, it's so I never clearly noticed, there. I never noticed the I must have noticed, but I never until I was re-listening to the song, I heard the ahs. And then I said to myself, oh, God, I'm going to write down that it reminds me of the 10 CC. And then every bit of thing that has him talking about it says we ripped it off from them. Yeah, Phil, Phil Ramone gives an interview where he describes exactly how they did it. And they used the same method of like looping the voice over and over and over in different did, octaves. Did you even know it was Billy Joel's voice? Because I didn't. I thought it was backup singers or his band or something. Yeah, but it's him. Yeah, that was fascinating. Just him layered and layered over and over again. Fascinating. Yeah, it's like they turned him into a robot. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, the 10cc song was very, very popular. I'm not in love was like a huge hit itself, yeah. except yeah. it has that awful big boys don't cry section, oh, which, they which just ruins it. Well, they used that on the Mr. Jaws album, which What's Mr. Know, Jaws. Ah, there was this guy. His name is Dickie Goodman, and he put together these albums, Energy Crisis 74, Mr. Jaws in 1974, 1975, where he would take clips of song and be interviewing and put the clips of the songs. It was on a 45 and everyone knew about it. It was like the funniest thing ever until you hear it now. Then you're like, you're kidding. Right. But um, he would play like, you know, uh, what, what is Mr. Jaws, you know, when Jaws was like super popular, Mr. Jaws, do you feel any remorse to what you've done to the people at the beach? Big boys don't cry. Big boys don't cry. You know, something <laughs> like uh, it was all just uh, like he's like, we are here at the White House for a special report on the energy crisis. Um, Mr. President, how do you feel? Uh, does it to be in love by you? It was all like stupidest stuff, uh -huh. but it was at the time when you were a kid, it was like the greatest thing ever done by this guy, you know, like novelty songs. We're here on the beach where a giant shark has just eaten a girl swimmer. Well, Mr. Jaws, how was it? Ah, oh and what did she say when you grabbed her? Please, Mr. Please. I know sharks are stupid, but what did you think when you took that first bite? How sweet it is. Mr. Jaws, before you swim out to sea, have you anything else to say? Here he comes again. They've hit him. Mr. Jaws, why doesn't anything seem to hurt you? Big boys don't cry. Big boys don't cry. And he yeah. used that big boys don't cry. And I was like, God, I really hate this song. It's so much like <laughs> big boys don't cry. Godly and Cream, who ended up, ironically, being amazing video directors and really helped a lot of other artists create their visions in music videos. You're talking, they were half of 10CC. 
Is that it? I thought they were 10cc. Apparently, there are two songwriting teams. There was Godly and Cream and these other two guys. Ah, well, nobody remembers the. So the other two guys are the Andrew Ridgely of the of the group. As a, I'm talking about Wham. Yes, you apparently are, so. You are young. Wham. Oh, you're so young. <laughs> young. Is that your George Michael impersonation? Uh, I was my George. It was my Paul Lynn imitation doing George. Well, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I think I've lost the audience. <laughs> All right, let me ask you a question. I, I, I know that there's a minute long difference from the single and the album version. I can't seem to find where the difference is. Do you know? No, I was only listening to the album version, so I don't even know what they might have cut. I don't think they would have cut the solo because that sax solo is real iconic. They didn't. That's why I can't figure out where the difference is. I mean, I guess I could totally sit there and listen, but I still don't think I noticed. I, I don't know how to explain it. I don't know why they would do it. Well, I guess I do. Back then they had to cut down singles, but. And I don't know why this song would even be a minute longer. Yeah. You know, it's a long, it's kind of a long song, but it doesn't make you feel like it's a long song. So I guess you heard about all the stuff that happened, that they were definitely not going to put this on the album. The guys in the band hated the song. Liberty DeVito hated what they were doing before they had come up with the way they were going to do it. They, they just couldn't get it correct. And, uh, you know, I think Liberty had been doing a cha-cha with it or something and he hated it and then it was phil ramon who said let's do a i, I think it's a what, what is a backward samba backward samba yeah and so they came up with something they could all live with but liberty was so this guy liberty i don't even know how he was stayed with the band this long this guy was so angry at everything apparently billy joel did for such a long time he just would always throw his sticks and walk and threaten to walk <laughs> out also I, I don't know why he had so much power in the band, it's wonder why they, he finally kicked him out of the band, you know, 10 years later. But he was like, I don't want to be a goddamn cocktail lounge drummer. You would think he would just be grateful that he's in a, a popular band. <laughs> you know. But I guess they even knew this is that this song and clearly the guys knew this song is going to make us look like a lounge band. I mean, even at the time, even though we know and I've played the clips multiple times, the Blues Brothers where Marv and the Magic Tones are playing, you know, that that song. Don't you go change. You can change. Don't you go changing. Also, Bill Murray says it in Meatballs. You can change the record, but don't you go changing. And so, like, I mean, this, <laughs> you know, everything has been used and they always make fun of it being an elevator music lounge song. You're marvelous. Thank you. I'm Murph. And these are the Magic Tones. We'll be back with the Magic Tones for the Armada Room's two-hour disco swing party after this short break. Till then, don't you go changing. So, Jay. You're out, you're free, you're rehabilitated. What's next? What's happening? What you gonna do? You got the money you owe us, motherfucker? And then it was, as you know, Linda Ronstad and Phoebe Snow, who we've mentioned on this podcast before, thanks to your stupid trivia question. Thank you. Um, <laughs> who said, what are you guys, crazy? I guess they were taping Recording Next Door. And they're like, this song is amazing. So it was the women that, you know, it was all boys. It's all boys. It's boys, you know, a boys band. And Phil Ramone's a boy, and everybody's like, "This is stupid." And the girls came and they're like, "No, this is a beautiful love song." It is, you know. But if if this was a sitcom, the girls would have been saying that to trick the boys. They would right. have said, "Oh, you guys better record this. This is going <laughs> to be good." And then they'd go back to their studio and start laughing at them and watch as the song bombs and ruins Billy's reputation. I would have thought that too, except Linda Ronstadt uh, apparently in the history of rock and roll is uh, something not to be believed. The way she's helped so many male musicians, not in the way you think, <laughs> the way the way our minds work, uh, but uh, in, in their 
in finding again their vision, like we said about Godly and Cream. Uh, I think she did that for the Eagles and uh, clearly did that for Billy Joel because this was it. This made his bones. This one made you say, well, let me check out the rest of the album. Yeah. And it's such a look, this song really stands the test of time. I feel like this is one of only two Billy Joel songs that really transcends Billy Joel and that it's become such a standard. I think the other one would be New York State of Mind, where everyone knows the songs, but they might not even know that these are Billy Joel songs. I imagine that most people who hear these songs are like, oh, yeah, I heard some guy singing that in a hotel or I saw Alexa Ray singing it, whatever. They don't know necessarily that this is Billy Joel, the same guy who did Piano Man or We Didn't Start the Fire or Big Shot or Moving Out. You know, on this exact same record, there's a song like Moving Out. And then he also does a song like this. That's that's incredible range. Yeah, you're right. I never thought about it like that. You're right. I bet you people when they hear this song don't realize it's Billy Joel. And it's one of those songs where if you didn't know Billy Joel, you would probably say, wait, this is the same guy that did We Didn't Start the Fire. This is amazing. Right. I agree 100 percent. It's very it is interesting. He well, we know he has a lot of range. We know, but yeah, I think if I didn't know, I'd be very impressed that he uh, did something like this as well. Yeah, because it sounds like it's a Stevie Wonder song. Yeah, did you know that Paul McCartney said that he liked the song so much? He said this is one of the few songs he wished he had written. Well, that's a good compliment. That's always yeah. the best compliment. It's like when we hear a comedian do a joke and you're like, man, I wish I had thought of that. Oh, I used to get that all the time from people. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had thought of doing a Nicolas Cage impersonation. Yeah, I bet you do. <laughs> that's high praise. High praise. Feed me. Charge me. Make her love me. <laughs> I have uh, an interesting list of, you know, now this one record and song of the year i can't remember which is which we know the song is we either the song or the record is how great something is but then the record i think is based on maybe the production of the record or something like that it's very confusing nobody knows i don't know why they don't change the category the song song of the year is strictly based on the songwriting so it's the best written song and record of the year is the actual physical product. So it's the guy singing it. It's the band. It's the production. It's the whole thing. So he won both that year just for this song, which remember, we always say we couldn't believe that The Stranger wasn't nominated. The whole album wasn't nominated. I don't know how the whole album can't be nominated if it wins record and song of the year. This one particular song, which technically in many ways is the worst song on the album, <laughs> you know, yeah, like the Grammys think the rest of it's all crap. <laughs> Apparently. So, I, you know, this is my favorite thing to do. Uh, you know, what did it beat that year? And it beat Baker Street by Jerry Rafferty, which everybody knows, you know. Yeah. Which they do on Howard Stern. Ba, 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 booey. <laughs> <laughs> um, Feels so good, Chuck Mangione. And you weren't alive, but that song was huge. It's an instrumental and it was like the hugest song. It's hard to explain, but it also beat "Staying Alive" from the Bee Gees, which ended up winning Album of the Year for the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack. It beat "Staying Alive." Maybe that's the uh, there was like this backlash already against disco music, so maybe they didn't want to give them this award. Maybe if this was 1979, you could be correct. And it also beat Anne Murray. You needed me, which apparently, according to that documentary, she was very huge. I never cared for any of her songs, but. Uh, Apparently, she was pretty good at what she did. I mean, I certainly know the song, but I hated it. And then Song of the Year. Yeah, they beat out. He beat out Staying Alive. He beat out Lionel Richie, Three Times a Lady. 
He beat out Neil Diamond and Barbara Streisand for You Don't Bring Me Flowers. He beat out Streisand and Neil Diamond. And then uh, the Anne Murray thing. I mean, he had to beat. I mean, the, the point is, and again, I like seeing who he had to beat out to get there. But the major point of this particular story is that he beat out the Bee Gees in, in at their Saturday night fever period. That, that's almost an impossibility. That's how strong this song was. That's how much it resonated with people. And I suppose it does stand the test of time. But it, the weird part was, is even back then, there was a backlash. Like people think it's schlocky then, and they think of it the same way now. And yet people also just, you, you can't deny the greatness about it as well. It's the strangest of strange songs. Yeah, well, the thing is, it's it's one of these schlocky love songs, sure, but it's like one of the best ones you're going to hear. So it transcends, I think, the criticism. You could say, oh, it sucks. This guy sold out and he's he's singing this lounge music. But if you're going to hear lounge music, this is the song you want to hear. It's right. as and, good as you, it can get. And they were saying that in 1977. I mean, that's the weird part, you know, <laughs> when the album came out. And they still say that, you know, now it's weird. But, but now now that you know what he was capable of, it's... You know, it's pushed aside and everything, but still, you know, to make it, I guess, you know, that's what it comes down to. If you have a, a hit and we know he did Piano Man and all that stuff, but this is a bonafide, qualified, the the hit that changed his whole career around. And the whole key is, can you follow it up? And he did multiple times. And that's that is staying power and greatness. You know, it's like a, you might have a hit. You might even have a second hit, but. That, and that uh, many times is the end of your career. But this guy, they all knew, well, you got to put out something. He's probably he's probably embarrassed about it. I think he hates playing this song at this point. From what I heard, what, what are the live statistics so on? Yeah, it's, it's it's not as high as you would think. I would have thought if I didn't look at the live stats or read anything about the song, I would have thought this must be the top five or top 10. But it's only the 29th most played song. And he's played it 234 times. Yeah, I, you know, he's mentioned multiple times at least before he started his garden thing that he's sick of playing the song he's mentioned it before this this is his crocodile rock the way elton john feels about that song he does not want to play this song anymore yeah but, and some people say that it's because it's about his first wife elizabeth so he for some period of time maybe in the 80s like when the divorce was fresh he wouldn't want to play that song but um phil ramone said that he thought that for billy joel playing this live didn't have the same effect as listening to it in the studio. Like it just doesn't resonate with live audiences as much as his rock songs do. So he just never really feels like playing it. That's very interesting. And you also heard that the, they bought in a, a sax player. Phil said to bring in another sax player instead of Richie. And he was rather crestfallen. Yeah. Richie was so mad. He grabbed Liberty's drumsticks and threw them. (laughs) 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 Give me something to throw. (laughs) But it's so funny. Billy's band is so temperamental and you'd think they would just be like so grateful that they have jobs because, you know, the way musicians are. And I guess, uh, but they are temper. We know how musicians are and it is horrible to be part of the band. And then you're bringing it. Well, we're going to bring in a really good sax player, Richie. You're okay with that, right? Yeah. They're like, they're bringing this guy, Phil Woods, who apparently won the top alto sax player award in downbeat magazine 30 times. Well, I think the reason why they hired him is because he was a Charlie Parker protege. And that apparently it's like uh, for me, the reason I got hired a lot is because I uh, David Tell and I were friends and like, well, if you're friends with Dave, you must be OK. I mean, seriously, it, that that is what happens sometimes. 
Yeah. If you're a protege of this unbelievable guy, then that's what we want to use. Which, I mean, the guy did the job, but I think that's what it stemmed for is that they're all in awe of the other person they actually would want to play on it. <laughs> but they're like, well, we'll use this guy too. <laughs> yeah. They're like, well, he died 30 years ago, so we'll use this guy instead. But uh, he actually did six solos and then um, and then Phil Ramone actually was able to splice them together to pick the best parts of each one. That's so, so what weird. you hear in the record wasn't even like him playing it straight through. They just found pieces that worked. I wonder if Richie tells people that all the time. They didn't they had to do it six times. They had to splice it. Yeah. He's like, <laughs> I play it live one time, one take every time. I do it live in front of 10,000 people. This guy took them six takes. It is kind of weird that they had to splice it together. But, I mean, like, how good is the guy if they had to splice it together? They, they, I mean, really? He's that good, but he couldn't get it once, right? This is what happened. He came into the studio. He did the Krusty the Clown thing. <laughs> hey, hey, I'm Krusty the Clown. <laughs> and just got right out of there. And they're like, wait, Phil, oh, we need to do another right. take. All right, Krusty, we're ready to roll. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got to play that again. I could play that every time. All right, you Poindexters, let's get this right. One, hey, hey, kids, I'm talking Krusty. Two, hey, hey, here comes Sideshow Mel. Again, here comes Sideshow Mel. Sideshow Mel. Three, <laughs> bada bing, bada boom, I'm done. Learn from a professional, kid. Okay, Krusty, uh, we are ready to roll. Any, what the? I think it's interesting how Billy Joel actually composed this song because he says that he actually just dreamt the melody and then forgot it. And then he was in a business meeting with some accountants and all of a sudden it came back to him. So he was just like, I got to go. I got to leave the meeting. And they were like, oh, yeah, go, go, go. Because they want them to write songs, which I think is a great way to leave meetings. <laughs> <laughs> I've like, oh, I just be- thought of something brilliant. I'm so sorry. Yeah, I've tried that before. And they don't say, oh, go, go, go. They're like, if you leave right now, don't bother coming back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like that he said he was talking about, right? And his the lyrics, like you said, he had the melody. He didn't have the lyrics and the lyrics. He was like, don't be crazy. Don't be stupid. And he calls them. What do you know? I forget. Bailout lyrics. Bailout. I like that. I like that term. Uh, I think that's kind of cool. You know, he has the melody, but he doesn't have the lyrics. And then, of course, he sits down and figures out the lyrics. But don't be crazy. Don't be stupid. (laughs) That's that's how it started out. Yeah, that's really a good idea, actually, to help remember a tune is to put some fake words to it. But you got to Well, that's how ev- that's how everybody writes. That's, you know, Paul McCartney tells that all the time with, with that scrambled egg story. You know, I mean, that's that's what oh, yeah, you sure. when you have the melody in your head, you're just coming up with a blah, blah, blah. I mean, we hear listen, we hear all the demos that Billy does. That's how it works. That's the process. If, if you come up with the melody first, if you're not Elton John and have a Bernie Taupin, you know, with, with the lyrics ready, you're, you're going to make up stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, that is the process that I believe everyone uses. But it's fun when you hear your heroes or icons uh say what it was <laughs> you know like well it's just using these bailout lyrics don't be crazy don't be stupid now i can't imagine that linda ronstadt and phoebe snow would be okay with those they would be like you know <laughs> the song's pretty good but i would probably change those lyrics it's a it's a little degrading <laughs> yeah you can't call women crazy and stupid well you could in 1977 see that's where you're missing you don't understand how it was a lot no, but look, he got a lot of flack for even the lyrics in this song, which is a really nice love song. But people called them misogynistic, like that clever conversation line. Some people interpreted that as him like wanting a woman to not talk, to just sit there quietly, not be smart. But Billy was quoted as saying, it means I don't really want shallow cocktail chatter, superficial chit chat. I want someone I can really talk to. I want a real dialogue. I want real communication. Makes sense to me. Yeah. Good guy, Billy. He's all right. You know, what's interesting also is that 
you know, this song was so huge and some artists probably would just say, well, I guess I'm just going to become this kind of singer now. And their next album would just be like 12 love songs in this vein. That's right. But Billy had enough artistic integrity. And I suppose Phil Ramone also didn't ever push him in that direction because then you have 52nd Street where the only song that maybe is in this vein is Honesty. And even that isn't exactly a, a fun love song. It's someone who's in a lot of anguish. So he kind of stuck to his guns. He didn't he didn't go off into this other way. He, he always stays true to who he is. That is for sure. As we even know from uh, it's still rock and roll to me, you know, if you're going to use next wave dance graves or the what was the, uh, the the fancy pants guy, you know, you're like, hey, I'm going for it. This is what I this is what I envision. Go A whole song. album about Bo Brummel. <laughs> right. Bo Brummel. Dave, it's time for the trivia portion of the show. Do you have a stumper? Oh, yes. I have an outstanding one for you today, Alon, since it involves you and me. Ooh. In 1988, Billy Joel performed a duet of this song on television, which, as we know, is quite unheard of for Billy. Unheard of being the key word, Alon. Who does he do this duet with? The other hint is one word. That Dave Juskow kept saying when Alon and I went to the U.S. Open together last year. I could say that word, and then you're going to know who it is. Okay. If it's at, we were at tennis, That's right. you were probably saying something about the score, so you would have said the word love. It's with Courtney Love. Nope. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think what that unheard of hint is. Unheard of. And I kept Her, saying, as in it's a girl. Her. No, no heard. Unheard. Heard. Unheard. Okay. Unheard. It's someone who has no hearing. Beethoven. Bingo. <laughs> With Marley Matlin? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> remember, remember when I was at the US Open? I go, bingo. Because we're <laughs> doing the uh, Seinfeld. Yeah, when she's a ball girl. Yeah, I must have done that a hundred times to you because I was having such a good time. It was just like, it just, you know, I keep remembering the thing. Yes, they did a duet together on Sesame Street. In 1988? Uh-huh. And Billy I didn't Joel know she Schmitt. was even a, a famous person back then. Oh, yeah, yeah. She had just won an Oscar for Children of a Lesser God, I think. No. Oh, okay. I have that right? Maybe. She had just won an Oscar, I believe. Um, so they sang to Oscar the Grouch. They moved the piano to Oscar the Grouch, and she, you know, uh, did the sign language for Oscar, but right at the piano. So she was technically, it's technically a duet. And he, he changes the lyrics to, don't go changing just to please me. Because being friendly is not your style. <laughs> Don't want to hear you saying thank you. I would hate to see you smile. Just be grouchy, really grouchy. You've done it pretty well so far. That's it. Wow. <laughs> I mean, that's that's as good way. as a weird alarm. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was great. You can see it on YouTube. It's fantastic. Billy Joel, Marley Maitland singing to Oscar. And in between while Billy's singing, Oscar's like, ah, shut up. It's really funny. <laughs> <laughs> but by, by, by the end, I bet he's like really into it. Uh, he was into it because I think Billy insulted him at the end. He goes, well, that was nice. <laughs> <laughs> State your name, then beat it. I'm Billy Joel. Billy Joel what? Cat got your last name there? <laughs> Just Billy Joel. Oh. And this is Molly Matlin. Hi. Yeah, hi. We're grouch groupies. We love grouches. 
You love grouches? Oh, yuck. And whenever I throw away a used piano, I give it to a grouch. And this time, you're it. Oh, yeah? Oh, a used piano, man. Huh. And Molly helped me push this here. Yeah? Well, while you're pushing, why don't you just both shove off? <laughs> but leave my piano. <laughs> uh, not yet. Hmm? Because with the piano comes a song, a love song. A love song? Oh. You hear the song, and then you get the piano. Well, I knew there had to be strings attached. This one's for you, Oscar. Right from the heart. Right from the heart? Oh, I'm gonna hate this. Don't go changing just to please me. Cause being friendly is not your style. Uh, but yeah, you're saying don't go changing. You're always a grouch. We like that you're a grouch. It was kind of great. And Good that was in 88. That's 10 years after the song was released. Yeah, he was probably like, oh, great. I got to sing this thing again. Who would have thought Billy Joel would have teamed up with Marley Maitland? See, this is how much Billy Joel hates doing duets. I'll do it, but the person has to be deaf and dumb to <laughs> <laughs> She better not hear me. <laughs> it's kind of weird. The guy hates doing duets. And then he like really proved his point in 1988. <laughs> Well, it was after the bridge, so he had just done a couple duets there. Yeah, exactly. And he clearly realized, well, that's it. Unless this person can't hear, otherwise I'm out. <laughs> Actually, it's funny you should say that. So do you have one for me? And I hope it's as enjoyable as the one I gave you. I bet you it's Oh, not. yeah. Frank Sinatra did a version of this cover. In 1984, Big Bird and Snuffleupagus were... <laughs> <laughs> okay, Bird. <laughs> Hi, Bird. Okay, so the saxophonist on this song, Phil Woods, his wife was previously the common law wife of what famous jazz musician? Herbie Hancock. No. No, I was taking a look at the timeline. Well, yeah, see, yeah, I was looking at, oh, Quincy Jones. No. Well, I'm assuming it's somebody I know. Oh, otherwise, it's definitely, complete... it's definitely someone you know. Oh. A, ja- a famous jazz musician. musician they're, a- they're a saxophonist. Oh, a saxophonist. Oh, Dave Brubeck? No. Who's that guy they always used to use on Letterman all the time? A sax, a famous sax. Bill Clinton. <laughs> That's right. Um, it's Bill Clinton's first wife. He is a famous saxophonist. Wait a minute. I have to get this. A famous sax player in the 60s and 70s? No, from earlier. This Earlier. player died, and then Phil Woods married his wife. Oh. Helped raise know. his kid. Uh, why do you got to ask? Why are your questions always from the 1940s? I mean, this it's every time. It's like really, it's getting really thin, Elon. I'm telling you. can't You can't ask one question about the 80s like I do. How can you not get this? You've named this person in this episode. I don't. Oh, wait. Not Richie. Richie Canada. Richie Canada. No. That would <laughs> no. Be, be kind of... Uh, that would be hilarious if he did that. He's like, I'll show Phil. He he met her at the at the um at the recording session. No, the Phil Woods married this guy's wife, not the other way around. Oh, Phil Woods married. She this. was someone else's wife first, and then Phil Woods married I, her. I don't I don't know. Charlie Parker. 
Oh, I really, you know, I don't even know who the hell Charlie Parker is. And I don't the bird stupid question. Charlie Parker, one of the most famous jazz saxophone players, Phil Woods, they call him the protege. They call him baby bird. And he when when Charlie Parker died, Phil Woods married his wife. Look, I know that Charlie Parker was a respected musician, but I didn't know he was a saxophonist. And I really don't care. I like Billy Joel. I don't give a shit about those other musicians <laughs> that came before him. <laughs> All right, we'll do more trivia about Sesame Street then. Yeah, exactly. Something or, you know, Back to the Future, something, you know. <laughs> okay, here's a Back to the Future trivia. Okay. All right, in Back to the Future 1, what year do they go back to? 1955. 1955 is also the year that Charlie Parker died. Oh my God. <laughs> and a couple years later, <laughs> Phil Woods married his wife. <laughs> Damn it, you brought it back around to be hilarious. All right. Well, <laughs> that's pretty good. Well, I'd like to see you try and beat the parody that I just technically did, which isn't a parody and was written by Billy Joel. But let's see what you got today, Weird Elon. All right. Today, Weird Elon has uh, said adjust the way you are. It's called Rusty Broken Car. Don't go changing lanes on highways because my signal doesn't work. Ooh, and my mechanic just laughs right at me. Why does he have to be a jerk? I have to climb in through the window. I cannot get that door ajar, mm-hmm, but I will never try to replace it. I love my rusty broken car. Hey, now. I, you know, I, I, I like the very end line, and that's about where it ends for me. I would very much be interested to see how uh, the listeners feel about this song. I prefer when you talk about food, as you know. What? Uh, <laughs> I specifically had to move away from food. <laughs> well, I don't care if you talk about food. I love when you talk about food. You said that's the way to go when you're making parodies. You learn from Weird Al. This, this uh, is it's not it's not it's not really a classic, is it? <laughs> <laughs> well, what can I do? The song's already a classic. All I could do is just make it about rusty cars and yeah, well, that's all right. Get you it know, over you with. What you could have done is make it about crusty cars. We can't do two Simpsons in a row. Yes, we can every week. You and I would be good with that. Nobody else would, but Trusty's clown car. We have to keep ourselves entertained as well, you know. By the way, how do we make it through a whole episode and you didn't even once do the gag of calling this Don't Go Change It? Oh my God, isn't that funny? I totally didn't even think about it. We've done 60 something episodes and nearly every single one you mentioned Don't Go Change It. Isn't that funny? What about I didn't even say just the way we was? You didn't even do just the way we was. What the hell's the matter with me? <laughs> No, it's like the curse has been broken. Somehow you had this curse that a witch put on you that you would have to never know the title of this song until you got to this episode. I had to make it to this episode. Now we got to find a new one I can mispronounce. All right, Elon, take us home. Well, folks, that was Just The Way You Are, a.k.a. Don't Go Changing. Just The Way We Was. (laughs) If you like our podcast, be sure to go to Apple and give us five stars. We release new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday, so make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss a single song. Follow us on social media at Billy Joel A2Z 
and give us some feedback. Are you amazed that Dave went the whole episode without saying don't go changing? I can't believe it. Can you believe this song beat staying alive at the Grammys? Can't believe that either. What do you think about that 10cc song? Hate it. And do you think Billy made the right choice to miss his high school reunion to perform on SNL? I don't think so. Until next time, I'm Alan Altman. I'm Dave Juskow. And this is Billy Joel A to Z. And remember, you can change the podcast, but don't you go changing. Someone that I can talk to. I want you just the way you are.